Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year, Wayne. Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, you know, looking forward to better things in, in this new year, but of course it's not going to magically happen or immediately. Um, I wanted to start with the op-ed, co-authored op-ed piece you had in the Washington Post um, recommending that rather than give the second dose of Moderna and Pfizer, that the first doses be used to get to more people. And, and yep. there are other people who share that point of view, and then there are people who don't. So maybe you can just recap your rationale and, and where you stand on that. Absolutely. Absolutely, Wayne. So right now, um, by the end of December, we have more than 40 million doses of this vaccine produced, of the two vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna combined. And we've given out about 5 million. And that means about 35 million are sitting on shelves. And uh, and part of what it is that we're saving more than 50 percent, more than 20 million. We're holding back so we uh, we can give it to make sure that we have a second dose for everybody. And that's how the clinical trials were done. And it makes a lot of sense on some level to stick to the clinical trials. But here's the problem, which is we have virus raging across the country. And I am deeply, deeply worried about this new variant that is now starting to pop up, this UK variant that we've uh, talked about. And it is going to put a massive strain on our hospitals and a lot more people are going to die. And so <clears throat> the question that Bob Walker, who's chair of medicine at UCSF and I were thinking about is would it make sense to take the 40 million doses and give it out to, for, as a first dose to 40 million people. Now, that would mean we'd be able to protect a lot more seniors. It would mean we'd be able to protect a lot of people who are at high risk. But what would the cost of such a strategy be? Well, it may mean that the 40 million who get vaccinated may not be able to get their second dose within three to four weeks, and they may end up getting delayed by a couple of weeks. And if you're a purist, you say, well, that's not acceptable because that's not how the clinical trials were done. I get that. I think that's reasonable argument. But I look at the clinical trials data and what I see, for instance, in the Moderna data, that after one dose, you get 80 to 90 percent protection. After two doses, you get 95 percent protection. The second thing I see in the clinical trials data is that protection is very strong out to day 28, four weeks after the first dose, um, before people got that second dose. I have no reason to believe, we have lots of experience with vaccines, lots of experience with vaccines where we give two doses. No reason to believe that somehow on day 29, the protection will magically plummet. It won't, it'll last for a while, probably a few months. And I'm not saying delay it for a few months. I'm saying if it gets delayed to five weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, clinically, it's almost surely not a big deal. But it will allow us to protect so many more people instead of these vaccines sitting on shelves. But it does require that we have a little bit of flexibility. 
And for a lot of people, this has been a bridge too far. They feel like in the middle of a crisis, the, the one thing they know of is that the four week interval, the two dose four week interval works and they just don't want to deviate from that at all. I get that. My take is the problem is we are headed towards another 50 to 100,000 Americans dying this month alone and probably a similar number in February. And that is such an astronomical toll that to prevent some large chunk of that, I am willing to deviate a little, especially because I feel like the, the science behind what we're suggesting and recommending is quite sound. The FDA overnight said uh, stick to the two, the two doses. Um, and you're saying, you just did say, we should consider an alternative. Um, so I guess we'll leave that there. You've, you've, you've addressed that issue. I want yeah. to talk, can go I, ahead, if I you have more to say. To, yeah, sure. let me just, to, just to both say, I, I get why the FDA did what they did overnight. You know, these agencies, FDA, CDC, have been really battered over the last year, and they have been undermined, and their uh, scientific uh, advice has been ignored. So they are feeling at this point, um, you know, like, hey, we've got a plan, don't mess with us. And they're feeling a little, and I get that. And, you know, one of the things Bob and I talked about, Bob Walker and I talked about is, you know, this may not be the time, this may be the right idea, but it may not be the time to do it because we just as a country are coming out of a year of science denialism and we don't want people to feel like we're somehow undermining the FDA at all. Obviously, that's not what we're doing. We're trying to we're trying to save lives and we're trying to say, can we push things a little bit uh, to save more lives? I still believe that what we laid out will save many, many more lives. Um, but I get it. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't feel like the alternative view is at all unreasonable. Um, but I, and I get why the FDA is doing what it's doing. We've hit on this before, but let, let's hit on it again. How do we get in the situation where we have 40 million doses produced, which is a, a good number. It's not enough. Obviously we'll need more going forward. All of those produced and a, really just a fraction going into arms. The, the federal government seems to have said, look, this is the state's responsibilities, good luck and, and whatever. Uh, and a lot of people are saying that's, I almost used a word I can't use, is nonsense. How do yeah. we get here? Again, yeah. re just recap that quickly. Absolutely. You know, so back in September, Wayne, uh, you and I and everybody else knew that vaccines were coming in November, December. We didn't know the exact date, but we knew this was coming. And you would have thought, an effective federal government would have sat down with states and said, let's build out vaccination sites. Let's do all the training. Let's figure out the IT data needs so that we can track people as they get vaccinated. And they would have worked really closely with states. They would have gotten money to states and they would have set everything up so that the day the vaccines arrived, we could have started putting them into people's arms. We didn't do all of that. We basically said more or less to states, hey, come up with a plan and good luck. And states are stretched. They're really struggling. And so, you know, right now, when the president blames the states and says the problem here is that we have 50 failing governors and 50 failing states, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, sure, if you, if you saw a few states failing, but everybody else succeeding, you could say, well, there's a problem in those states. But what obviously is happening is states can't do this without federal partnership. And, and that partnership has been really, really weak on the federal side. So, um, 
I do think states will figure it out. Money is starting to flow to states, but this is going to go a lot more slowly than we should have had. You mentioned the UK variant, and as of now, it has been found in California, Colorado, and New York, and perhaps elsewhere in the US. And you said you're very worried about that. Can we make an educated guess that even though it's only been identified in three or four states, that it's really in many more states now currently? Is that, a correct, is that a correct assumption? It is absolutely a correct assumption because each of the people who's been identified uh, did not travel to the UK or anywhere else. So that means they got it in their communities. And the idea that this virus is in Colorado and California and New York and Florida, but it's not everywhere in between, is uh, hard to imagine. Uh, so I would guess that it's uh, probably in every state or almost in every state. And the best estimates are that right now it probably represents 1% of new infections. And so right now when we are probably about between five and 700,000 Americans are probably getting infected every day. Uh, we're only identifying about 200,000 of them. But if 1% are from this new variant, that means every day, uh, 5,000 people are getting infected with this new variant. And the models say that this is going to take off and that it will become the dominant variant uh, by early March. Thank you. Um, as always, we have audience questions and I selected two that yeah. I will now read. Considering the data that shows the potential for long-term inflammation resulting from contracting contracting COVID-19, is it possible that the vaccine could pose the same risk? It's a really interesting question. Uh, sh the short answer is it's incredibly unlikely, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. And certainly, it's much, much less likely than getting COVID itself. So if you're trying to decide, is it worth getting the vaccine? Uh, let me tell you, it's a lot, if you're, and you're worried about long effects, it's much safer. So why do I say that? What's the basis for my confidence on this? You know, across the various vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, uh, those are the ones where we've seen data reported out. And actually some of the Chinese and, and Russian vaccines, but the data there has not been reported out so well. But so let's just stick to those three, Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca. There probably have been 60, 70,000 people who've been vaccinated in the clinical trials. And, uh, and we haven't seen anybody with these kinds of uh, long-term inflammation stuff. And so if so, that automatically says to me that the number of people who could theoretically even get this is much less than one in 60,000, 70,000. We just haven't seen it. And if you also think about the mechanism by which uh, COVID causes these long haul symptoms, it's a it's a very nonspecific inflammatory reaction that comes after a very profound infection, uh, often after a profound infection. That's not what's happening with with the vaccine. So I, I think I suppose there is a potential theoretical. But in reality, no, it's just not something I'd worry about. And the other question we have from our audience, can people test positive for weeks, even months, but are definitely not spreading the virus? Yeah, this is a great question. And the short answer is yes, they can, um, especially with the PCR test. You know, the PCR test is uh, very sensitive. It picks up even small amounts of virus. And one of the things we have learned over time is that people, after they clear their infection, they're better will have fragments of the virus, you know, basically think of it as dead virus, kind of little bits and pieces of the virus still in their throat, uh, in their lungs that they're clearing. 
and that can last for weeks. And therefore, if you get a test, you could potentially still be positive. Uh, but what we have no, what we know is about 10 days, two weeks after the onset of symptoms, uh, people stop being contagious. So uh, again, there are probably theoretical cases where people could be contagious much longer than that. Uh, but almost always people after about 10 to 14 days after their onset of symptoms are no longer contagious. And yet uh, some people will continue to test positive, which is why we don't recommend people getting tested uh, well beyond 10, 14 days. Thank you. Uh, and to our audience, if you have a COVID related question, please send to gwmiller at providencejournal.com with question for Dr. Ja in the subject field. Ashish, thank you again. Uh, always enlightening, informative, and quite, quite useful to everyone. Um, we'll see you again in a week. Have a good week and stay safe. Thank you very much, Wayne. Always enjoy it. Uh, and again, Happy New Year. And I look forward to getting back together next week and talking more. 